Father God, we, we just thank you. We love you. We adore you. I praise your name, God. I am here right now because of you. We are all here right now because of you. And I just ask, oh God, that as we dive into your word, that you would um, reveal something new to us, that you would open our hearts to hear what you are saying to each and every one of us. Our lives are lived for you. And we just want to honor you with every breath that we breathe. And so as we jump into your word today, God, we just want to, we want to be more. We want to know you better. We want to experience your love in ways that we've never experienced before. And we know that because of your precious Holy Spirit, that we can have that experience. And so I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. And Father, I pray that as I yield myself to you, that you would speak through me and that you would speak a word of life, a word of truth, a word of hope to each and every person, oh God. And that even as we are all assembled together in our, whether it's in our homes or in the actual church building and as we assemble together, that you would just continue to make yourself known. Because we know that when we all come together, you are already there right in our midst. And so we don't have to have an altar call. We don't have to have some special thing going on. But because you are present, you can heal, you can set free, you can make new right as the word is going forth. And so I pray for that today, that by the end of this time together, God, that each and every person, oh God, would be healed in every area of their life. And Lord, I just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, I have a kind of a lot of scriptures maybe that um, I'm going to share with you. I am not going to read the majority of them. Um, so I'll give you all the scriptures um, and I'll call out the page numbers for you. I'm going to actually read in a couple of different versions of the Bible today, um, but I'll give you page numbers as best as I can for the voice version. So um, I, I think these are in the order that they'll come up. But um, first of all, my whole foundation is coming from Genesis chapter 28 through chapter 30. And you can find that in the voice, um, in the version of the voice that we use on pages 35 through 40. Also, um, Isaiah 53, three through six. I'm going to read that out of the Message Bible, but I believe it's on page 857 in the voice. So that's Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. We also have 1 Peter 4 and 8, page 1506. Romans 8 and 35, page 1383. Psalm 103, verses 6 through 18, they're about in the message. That's where I'm going to read it. But I believe this is on page 701 in the voice. And finally, Third uh, John 1 and 2, I'm actually going to read it from the New King James Version, um, but the voice should be around page 1521. So those are all of the foundational scriptures for today, some of which I'll read, most of which I probably won't. But let's jump in. Uh, as we, did you need, did you need scriptures again? Yeah, from Romans 835. Yeah, Romans 835, and then Psalm 103, 6 through 18, page 
And I'll call those out again as we go through it. Right. Okay. So as we continue our journey into the depths of God's love as reflected in the words of Genesis, today we will explore Genesis chapters 28 through 30. In these chapters, we find the story of Jacob's search for a wife and the establishment of his household and wealth. And as with many of the stories of Genesis, within the span of three chapters, we find some surprising and questionable behavior, behavior that on the surface, you wouldn't expect from the generational line of Christ. But when you think deeply about the purpose of Christ, you realize that he didn't come for perfect people. He came to save a world that was imperfect, hurting, and broken. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, around verses 3 through 6, um, again, I'm going to read it in the message version, but I think it's 857 in the voice. It says, uh, but the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for, for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. I think Christ's acquaintance with our pain started with his own family line. There's nothing new under the sun. And we could safely say that Jesus was a product of all kinds of ungodly behavior. The story in Genesis 28 through 30 is one more example of the kinds of behavior that Jesus carried forgave and freed us from through his death and resurrection. When reading and studying these stories, there are two things that come to my mind and the speakers before me have confirmed this in their teaching. Love covers a multitude of faults. And that's 1 Peter 4 and 8. And also nothing can separate us from Christ's love, Romans 8 and 35. With this in mind, I'd like to share with you what I found when exploring Genesis 28 through 30, and I plan to use obsessions with fruitfulness as my topic for today. I'm not going to read these chapters to you because you've heard the story before, but I'll summarize it all, and then we'll extract the deeper revelation of God's love displayed in the story. So Jacob was instructed by his father to find a wife from among Rebekah's, his mother's side of the family, because Rebekah especially did not like the Canaanite women that Jacob's brother Esau married. So Jacob flees to Padan Abram, where his uncle lives, partly to find a wife, partly to get away from Esau because he feared Esau might kill him for, for stealing the blessing. On the way to his uncle's house, Jacob has an encounter with God and vows to honor God if God makes his journey prosperous. Jacob then finds his uncle Laban and falls in love with his cousin Rachel and offers to work seven years in exchange for a promise to marry Rachel at the end of that term. Given how wealthy Isaac was, I didn't really understand why Jacob left his mother and father with no money of his own. I still am not sure what happened there, but since Jacob had no money at the time, his labor was the payment for the promise to marry Rachel. After seven years of work, Jacob says, give me my wife. You can find that in verse, chapter 29, verse 21. 
reading the story, you'll see in some translations that he was a little more detailed about what he wanted. And as you can imagine, after working seven years for the person of your desire, you'd be a little desperate to get to the wedding. Jacob was so excited about Rachel and his wedding night that he failed to realize until morning that he was actually with Rachel's oldest sister, Leah, and not Rachel. Apparently, Jacob didn't realize that it was customary to marry the younger sister off before the older one, and Laban tricked him into marrying the not-so-pretty older sister. In an attempt to right this wrong, Laban allowed Jacob to work seven more years for Rachel with a promise that he could marry Rachel after one week instead of waiting until the end of the seven period. I, when I think about this part of the story, I'm always laughing because I remember people, and maybe my dad even preached this one time where it was like, how in the world did he go the whole night and not realize that he had the wrong woman? <laughs> <laughs> I just keep thinking about that. I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure, but I'm just going to say they didn't have electric lights like we did. And maybe it was real dark after the marriage ceremony and they didn't have any candles. And maybe she was all covered up until after, you know, everything went down. But I, I do think that's always something. But I kind of think as well, like sometimes when you want something, you don't pay close attention. You just want it and you just get, get sidetracked with it. Um, so, um, a lot had already happened, you know, just up to that point, so much had already happened in this story, but there's still so much more. Um, a baby war ensued between Leah and Rachel. Leah kept bearing sons to try to gain Jacob's love and favor, but Rachel was barren. Leah was winning the war until God finally opened Rachel's womb and she had some sons but not before Rachel blamed Jacob for her barrenness. If you look at Genesis 30 and two, Jacob became angry and said in my paraphrase, woman, am I God? I don't have the ability to open your womb and give you children. So talk to him about that. It's not my fault you're not pregnant, it's his. But the baby war went on for a while and there was all kinds of infighting between the two sister wives. At one point, Rachel, in my opinion, pimped Jacob out for some mandrakes that Leah's son found. And all I could think was, what is it with food in this family? Esau sold his birthright for some stew, and Rachel is pimping out her husband for some fruit. But I learned that Rachel wanted the mandrakes because they were thought to bring about fertility. And given her focus on winning the baby-making competition, and thereby all of Jacob's love and favor to the detriment of her own sister, Rachel was desperate for anything that might increase her chances of having more children. It's all pretty crazy when you read and think about it, but you realize this kind of thing happens every day as women try to trap men by becoming pregnant or thinking that they'll be more loved by the person of their affection if they have a kid. I'm not faulting anyone, just pointing out how what happened thousands of years ago is still happening today. I'll get into this later but if you look into the depths of these things it boils down to misguided perceptions of or relationships with the concept of fruitfulness as we move beyond the baby making war we come back to jacob realizing that it's time for him to separate from his uncle given the size of his family and overall his household so he makes a deal with laban to go away with only the speckled spotted and black sheep and goats Laban thinks this is an amazing deal. 
He got cheap labor for over 14 years, married wow. off both daughters, had an increase in his wealth while Jacob cared for the flocks and would get to keep all that when Jacob walked away with the weakest, most undesirable livestock. Only God intervened and Jacob devised a divine breeding program that caused the number of less desirable livestock to increase and become strong, making Jacob very wealthy off the deal, despite starting with nothing because Laban took away all of the less desirable livestock in order to de decrease Jacob's chances of success. So when they made this deal, Laban uh, told his sons, get all the, the spotted, the speckled, and the black sheep, and we're going to go and leave for a few days. So when Jacob started this whole process, he had nothing to really work with. So again, a divine breeding program allowed him to get all of the, to have all of these speckled and spotted and black sheep, you know, and goats birth so that that way he could increase his own wealth. So in about 20 years, the, the that's what the span of this chapter was. It covered about 20 years in three chapters. And there are many things that I want to tell you about from my studies. But as I read, um, I or as I read, I began to focus on what an inaccurate perception of fruitfulness could lead to. In the time of this passage, wealth and prosperity was associated with having many wives, children, servants, and an abundance of livestock and land. Wealth in and of itself isn't a problem, but when, you're, when your association of fruitfulness, wealth, and status are inappropriately de defined or misaligned with Christ's definition, it could cause you to do all kinds of things that don't display the character of God. Jacob, Laban, Rachel, and Leah's actions throughout the reading were selfish, cruel, devious, and marked by greed and a lust for money, power, and control. At a deeper level, in the case of Leah and Rachel, they associated love and favor with fruitfulness and were willing to do whatever it took to see their work displayed through the birthing of as many sons as they could. Fruitfulness is defined as the quality of producing fruit in abundance. That is the quality of producing fruit in abundance. And fruit can be defined in many ways. It can be physical, spiritual, mental, and or emotional. Encompassing, and of course, financial, um, it encompasses the total concept of, of life prosperity. But in most societies of the past and the present, it mostly describes material wealth. As I read these stories, it struck me that no one was after spiritual fruit. It was all materialistic. For true Christ followers, fruitfulness is defined by an increase in the fruit of one's soul. It can be summed up by 3 John 1 and 2. Again, I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version, but in the Voices, page 1521. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The whole story of fruitfulness throughout the Bible shows that when you put the things of God first, your life will prosper in all sorts of ways. But the more I thought about the words of Genesis 28 through 30, the more I could see the depths of God's love and the words of Psalms, Psalm 103 came to me. I'm going to read this out of the message version, but you can follow along in the voice and it should be around like verses 6 through 18 of Psalm 103. So again, page 701, I believe. Um, but in the message, it says, God makes everything come out right. 
He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how when he went about his work, opened up his plans to all Israel, God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He knows us inside and out, keeps in mind that we're made of mud. Men and women don't live very long. Like wildflowers, they spring up and blossom, but a storm snuffs them out just as quickly, leaving nothing to show they were here. God's love, though, is ever and always eternally present to all who fear him, making everything right for them and their children as they follow his covenant ways and remember to do whatever he said. Time and time again, God sees our weaknesses, our lust, greed, selfishness, and thirst for the things that we can see. And yet he never turns his back on us or abandons his plans to bring about good for our life and the lives of those around us. He could have looked at Jacob and Laban's constant deception or Leah and Rachel's poor treatment of one another and abandoned his plan to reconcile humankind, but he didn't. In fact, when you read Genesis 28, you'll find that Jacob didn't even really know God when he embarked upon a journey to find a wife. If you look at Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22, I believe that's page 36 in the voice, you'll see that Jacob vowed that God would be his God only if he was materially and physically fruitful. So he, he, Jacob had said to God, if you, if you make me safe, if you prosper my way, if you help me to achieve, you know, what I'm trying to achieve, then I'll recognize you as God. Then I'll, you know, make, give you 10% of all my wealth. When I looked at that, I realized there was nothing truly spiritual in that vow. Everything that he put in there was just about his material fruitfulness, you know, or even the fruitfulness of his health, you know. And yet, you know, with that vow, God still accepted it. And he was faithful to his promise to Jacob, to Isaac and to Abraham. And, you know, that whole promise was that they would be fruitful and multiply, that they would be a blessing to all of the people of the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, when you really look at that, you realize that God's faithfulness to his promise is tr- a representation of true and deep love. It doesn't matter what we do. He still loves us and is faithful to his promise. We should all take some time to examine our obsessions with fruitfulness and what that obsession may drive us to do. But when we do so, we should do it with an attitude of love and grace for ourselves, knowing that God isn't going to change his mind toward us. His love is infinite and it covers all of our weaknesses, faults and misperceptions. I mean, if you look at Genesis 28 through 30 and you really dig in and read those stories, you will realize like almost every scripture has something in it that's just really ridiculous where if it was up to us, we would look at it and say, this craziness, this ridiculousness, I am not gonna continue with this. I, I, I can't use these people. They are just too far gone. 
but he didn't god never said that he he looked at that he knew they were human he knew they had faults and he still said you know what i'm gonna bring about my master plan through these people and we all are the beneficiaries of of that faithfulness of god to his promise and so even when our focus is on fruitfulness that is only material, you know, that is only, you know, physical related stuff, the things that we can, the tangible stuff, God still sees our heart. He still knows us and he is still working to bring everything about to a place of good. And I don't want you to think that as I'm saying this, like there's a problem with material wealth. It's not, it's not a problem for, for, you know, Leah and for for uh, Rachel to want to have multiple children and everything. It was the reason behind why they were doing it that was off. It wasn't a problem for for Jacob to want wealth or for Laban to want wealth, you know, in the way they did. But the way they treated each other when they got the wealth, you know, that's why God is always saying that for us to be faithful in the little things because He knows if we can't be faithful with just a little bit of stuff, what and we if we don't have the right character, you know, like the fruit of the spirit, if we don't have all of that stuff when we get more we'll get corrupted by the things you know we'll get corrupted by um that um what's the word i'm looking for we'll get corrupted by you know um just that enticement of of wealth that enticement of being you know having power and control and it'll corrupt us with time if we don't have things in check so that's why even in third john he says prosper even as your soul prosper prosper even as you get into the right heart and the right mind and the right spirit when you are aligned with god you know when you get that right then everything else comes and it's even better you know because you can accomplish that goal of being a blessing to others like you'll be blessed you know that's a given i mean even laban recognized that the only reason he had his wealth was because of jacob and the blessing that was on Jacob. And so many people will be blessed simply because we are all blessed. But what I'm encouraging you today is to recognize that the love of God is going to cover everything. It is deep, it is wide, it will take care of everything. And so you can trust completely in him that if you put get, put your plans, if you put your thoughts, if you put your desires in his hand, if you let your idea of fruitfulness be defined by him, then everything else will fall in line. And that's, and that's what my takeaway from this story was, is that, you know, God is not going to change his mind, whether we mess up or, or not, he's not going to change his mind about us because his love is so infinite. It covers all of our weaknesses, our faults, our misperceptions. And as we receive this gracious love, as we receive this unconditional love, it is always so important for us to remember that we should turn around and extend the same love extend the same grace to others who are fighting with their own brokenness and struggles with prosperity and with any other thing that's going on in their life. And so I, you know, I feel like I said a lot, I know there's a lot to cover in that chapter, but I, I hope that your takeaway is to really kind of see, sometimes we have this, this thing where we are, um, putting characters in the Bible, like on this pedestal, as if there was this state of perfection, you know, with them. But what I look at is this, and I look at these stories and I see all the imperfections. And when I see all the imperfections, I think to myself, 
we're just fine, you know, because if God could love all the people back in Genesis who were the kickstart for, for, you know, humanity with all the craziness that they did, I mean, they didn't even really know God in the way that we know God. And he still continued his plan with them. Then we can sit back and know that God will use us just as we are to continue the plan, to continue the work that he has for this earth. And that's what I encourage us all to see, to really look at our brokenness, you know, look at the areas, you know, where we just think a little off and to, you know, give all of that kind of stuff over to God and let him lighten us. You know, I was talking about the sunlight earlier, let that sunlight, the son of God, you know, shine on our hearts, shine on our minds and transform the way we see things. And I think if we can do that, we'll have a world that will be even greater than what we imagine. And it may not be the larger, larger, like the whole entire world, you know, earth, but it'll be the world that we live in every day. The people that we come in contact with, we'll see breakthrough for our families. We'll see breakthrough for our coworkers. We'll see breakthrough for our friends. We'll just see life, that God kind of life happening all around us. And so I do hope that with what I've shared today, you can see God's love in a in a different way. Because I know I walked away and I thought to myself, wow, God's love is really infinite. And no matter what we do, he still has the capacity to love us. And so with that, if you bow your heads for a moment. Father, you said, in all our ways, acknowledge you and you would direct our paths. As we think about the experience of Jacob and Laban and uh, Rachel and Leah, help us to see ourselves. Help us to submit all our plans and our desires to you. Know that we will make mistakes along the way, but help us to remember that your love is deep and it's wide and it covers it all. And Lord, I just thank you for just the time that we could have with you today and that you have just touched our hearts and our minds to be an even greater example, be even greater ambassadors of, of yourself. And so, Lord, I give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.